you need to be clear of your red flags and you need to know your conditions. You can't go into ED not knowing all your musculoskeletal conditions because if you do not know, you wouldn't ask the questions. And if you do not know your red flags, you will not screen for them. Welcome to the next episode of In the ED Now. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Griffith, the ED DPT, and I'm so excited about our episode today. We are going to be talking with Dr. Poonam Pal. She is a physiotherapist in Singapore who has practiced in the emergency department and is now in private practice. And what she's going to share with us today are lessons on how to be the best emergency physio you can, how to collaborate with your medical partners to ensure best practices for your patient, and then how to get that patient connected to the appropriate follow-up that they need. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to In the ED Now. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Griffith, and I'm so happy to have with me today, Dr. Poonam Paul. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. And it's not morning where you are, correct? It's it's 1040 at night in Singapore. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us where you are from and what you do? So first of all, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I am Dr. Poonam Pal. I'm a physiotherapist. I practice in Singapore. I have been in Singapore for the last 16 years and I've been practicing as a musculoskeletal physio. I have a special interest in acute uh, ED cases as well as in chronic pain. I have done my prior training back in India, uh, my bachelor's degree, and then I did a master's and PhD from University of Otago, New Zealand. I did go back one more time to New Zealand 2017 to do another master's in clinical masters in uh, MSK in sports. So ever since I uh, have, uh, since 2018, I've been covering ED at one of the acute hospitals in Singapore. I've recently moved out of that hospital. I'm in private practice now for the last one year. So it's interesting, yeah. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. And you and I have talked a little bit about how the system in Singapore is different than the United States. Can you share a little bit about that? Right, so I, I'm not entirely sure how it was re, um, really back in the US, but I'll share what we do in Singapore. And probably a lot of it is relevant to the hospital that I used to work. So the hospital I worked was Changi General Hospital. It's an acute tertiary care hospital in the east of Singapore. And uh, we see a lot of acute cases that walk into the ED. We see any musculoskeletal case, as long as it's a gout flare, knee OA, back pain, neck pain, uh, fractures, accidents, I mean, things that need walking aid as well, we will see them. And um, so basically the whole concept of having an ED physio over there was to prevent admission into the hospital so as to save patients' revenues and save a hospital bed. So the ED physio is actually uh, mobilized, especially if the pain score. So we usually go with a simple um, scaling or uh, um, screening tool, which we say if the pain score is more than seven and the patient can't move, ED stat physio has to be ordered and the physio comes in and sees the patient. But if the pain is mild to moderate, patient can go back home. That's when they book the patient into a, a one-week follow-up slot. So uh, basically, that's where the ED physio comes in. Our goal is primarily to see if we can turn around the patient, send them back home, and then bring them as an outpatient setup. Do you find that you have difficulty getting patients in for outpatient follow-up? I know access to care in the United States is really difficult. And we have this perception that in other countries where there's a different healthcare model, that there's long, long wait times. But is that the case? There is. A, so I think uh, to understand this, uh, maybe the, the Singapore healthcare system is slightly different, I think. 
we copy as we go along. And as long as your referrals come in through the government portal, they are subsidized. So that means if you were to turn up to the ED, you do pay a certain amount, which is about, it ranges from hospital to hospital, 120 to $150, but it includes any investigation done over there. Anything on top of the standard investigation, say you were sent for a CT, then you pay more. But anything after that becomes subsidized care, which means the government will subsidize the care for you. And um, part of our healthcare system over here in Singapore is that when you do get your salary, some of it is um, taken deducted and it's called, it's go, it goes to your CPF and CPF also has a MediSafe. MediSafe means basically all your medical bills will be covered. So even if you didn't have a private insurance, you are forced to contribute to your medical uh, care. And that's how that kicks in. So when you go into an ED, you do pay some, but after that, everything else can subsidize and is deductible from MediSafe, unless you're going uh, through an outpatient physio and then you have to co-pay. But having said so, right? So, so if I saw a patient at the ED and they charge them 120, for example, the, phys, uh, the patient sees me and we charge 80 to 90, which is our standard charge for a hospital setup and follow-up slots then become subsidized. So instead of the pay, patient paying 80 to 90 becomes 30 or 20. Depends okay. on the subsidy that kicks. So that subsidy comes from the from the government. So in that way, uh, ED waiting time is a bit. We try to keep it within one week because we oh. need. We understand that the patient needs the care, and so sometimes it could be two to three days, and we just have to force in and book the patient. Uh, besides, but if you come as a regular outpatient that you've seen your spine surgeon, the surgeon sends to you. That one can be two to three weeks. That was a year ago, but I'm sure situation is pretty similar. So. Well, I, I tell you what, I have trouble getting patients in within three to four weeks. So I think that that sounds like you're doing great. And it sounds like physical therapy maybe is a little less of a luxury item in Singapore because you have that subsidy and patients can afford to come to those appointments. Yes. Um, we uh, At the hospital, we are, we definitely get more patients. Our, we One of our goals is to discharge our patients within four to six sessions because mm. it's subsidized care. And so everybody wants to keep coming back. And our challenge over here is to make themselves sufficient or empower them so that they can manage a little bit more themselves. So that becomes our challenge. We want them to go and manage. They want to keep coming back. But the situation changes when you're in private practice. In private practice, there are two kinds of patients that come to us. One that can afford it. So of course they do come. Uh, two that have their own private health insurance. So then they can come. But if you had to pay out of your pocket, those are the ones that you want them to come and they may not be able to come. So you have to plan for them like in a hospital setup. So you say, okay, you know that it's going to be expensive. Maybe you come in two to three weeks time. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And one of the things that you had shared with me is that you think in order for a physical therapist in the emergency department and the outpatient setting where you are to be successful is to have really close relationships with your medical provider team. Can you yeah. speak to that a little? Yes, I will. So uh, what happens over here is that when you see a patient at the ED and you think that the patient needs an ortho TCU, you will, an orthopedic doctor, and you flag it up to the doctors at the ED, I need a referral to them. But that that has a waiting time. So that can be a month. Or if it's uh, a fracture case, can be two weeks. But it's still pretty long for someone who needs to see a doctor mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, they do get the x-rays and everything sorted there. Uh, what we came up with at the ED is we realized a lot of these patients needed uh, spine because you sent to an ortho. Our ortho really can't do anything much more than he's going to send it to a spine surgeon. So we decided to maybe we cut that 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 uh, another person in there, and we had uh, we spoke to the spine surgeon and we spoke to the pain physician and we got them on board because with uh, 
we realized a lot of patients needed the second opinion with the spine doctor, and we wanted them to get the early TCU from the physio to the spine. And that doesn't happen as a formal route in Singapore. Um, basically, doctors send referrals to us, but we can only recommend that they see. We don't have a referral pathway, so we're very glad that the hospital did that. Um, during COVID, we saw a lot of uh, patients because everything, they, they cut back on services, you see. So all our appointments at the hospitals were uh, cut by about, I think, a third or half. And all these patients in acute pain kept, kept coming to the ED. And half of them, we realized, were chronic pain patients. They just kept coming up. So we decided, again, that this needs to be addressed. And we implemented the Oribro musculoskeletal pain questionnaire at the ED. And if the scores were high, I think a certain, I've forgotten the score, whether it's 47 or 57, then we flag it up to the pain specialist. And so the pain physician sees the patient. So that was a direct referral that we created from the ED to the spine specialist and to the pain specialist. And what have the outcomes been? Uh, generally what happens, the patient gets the patient gets earlier TCU for the services that they need, and they're not going in circles because they go to the ortho, ortho maze, order an MRI, they wait for a few weeks to get the MRI, then they say. So I think earlier care was expedited for them. And at least they saw who, under which discipline they belong to and not kept being shot to one person and then the other person, and then the other person. So at least coming in there, I think the physio was able to channel them properly. I think that makes a lot of sense to have the physical therapist being out front, being the one making that decision about you need this referral to this specialist because we've used our expertise and reviewed the fact that maybe physical therapy is not exactly where you need to be and kind of expediting that more emergent, higher level care. Yep. Right. And then does that also help you funnel those patients directly into physical therapy that should be in PT? Uh, yes. So usually those who will be in PT will respond to PT. That is what we generally go by. So if they're not responding, they're not going with your standard, um, not standard, how would I say, if they don't respond to how you anticipate them to respond, they're not responding to physical therapy, you know that this is not your case and you explore a little bit more. But those who respond to you, you know that, okay, this belongs to me, I'm going to see it. And we also have a way of like, okay, if, I've seen, if a senior physio has seen the patient for two, three times, it's a pretty stable case. We refer on to the junior physio to complete the, the journey. Okay. Mm. That seems like a really good plan too, to help like professionally develop your junior physios so that yes. they can kind of learn more, learn from that senior physio's plan of care and really help get that patient moving in the right direction. Yeah. So usually we, we do have those who have stayed on for rotations in spine or uh, musculoskeletal, and we want them to have a bit of acute exposure. We do give them the simple cases, which we think is not like simple in the sense we know that red flags are clear. They will respond the way they should be responding. We send those to our junior physios. I'm that makes sense to me. I love that. That's an excellent model. And then now that you're in private practice, do you still get referrals from the emergency department? Not so much. We tend to send them then out to emergency department. That doesn't happen quite often, but every now and then, yes, we do see one or two cases. So in private practice, what happens, a lot of the, as in Singapore, a lot of the referrals comes from uh, the doctors. So uh, most, because most of them will have to be subsidized or their insurance will say a doctor has to refer, start their referral. And that's why the doctor has to see for, their, for them to claim their physio sessions. Okay. And that's why the model is there. But those who really do not want to claim or say somebody's not working, they can't claim because they don't have the insurance, they pay themselves. So those walk into us. And okay. again, yeah, so I think having the knowledge of knowing this is my case or this is not my case and referring them appropriately is very important when you have private practice because there's no one to help you over there. 
there's no doctor you can ask for a second opinion you may discuss with your colleagues but you really have to keep clear you know you have to be sure that this case is mine i'm clearing it the assessment the first one you have to clear red flags and make sure that the patient responds if it's not then you need to rethink back so not very often but yes we've had a few cases that we'll have to say look i think you need to go and see a specialist you need to have that scan done what tips would you give for people who are maybe practicing an outpatient and aren't sure when to send those patients in? Because as an EDPT, you have a unique perspective of these patients should be in the emergency department. Yeah. So um, I think what I generally see with some of the juniors is we tend to panic. Anything that doesn't go according to how they say. So at the moment the patient says my pain is eight to nine, they panic, or they said I've had a tingling sensation down the arm they panic or I've had a few um, incidences of urination, which was not norm, they panic. So in, in generally, what I tell physios is that you don't panic because the patient has walked in from home and have come and sat with you. So if they can walk all the way, they probably can sit another 15, 20 minutes for detailed subjective assessment, get the history, get your story right, sit and rethink about it. And if in doubt, then call in the senior physio because the hospitals, we do have that luxury of a senior clinician is always at standby to ask questions. And having said so, I think I always tell them it's the collective information that you have to think and worry. So if one reflects you didn't get it or there's a numbness in one dermatome, you don't need to panic so much about it. You can keep it in your watch list or I have to review this one and but probably call the patient earlier in than necessary. So don't say I'll see in three weeks time, probably ask, uh, can I see in a week time and see, and I want you to monitor this and the symptoms for yourself. Probably give them the, you know, whatever cue cards you have, product, when signs and symptoms, if you don't have it, a website, a, a YouTube link, somewhere where reliably the patient can find the information rather than you panicking and making the patient more panic. And then the patient starts running around trying to get an MRI when it's not indicative just yet. I think that that's all great advice, especially because we want to keep those healthcare utilization resources low, no matter what healthcare system we're in, correct? Yeah. So tell me, tell, I'm really curious, like tell me about a case that you really remember in the emergency department where you were like the perfect person to see that patient and then how their trajectory of, along the continuum of care went. I don't know whether I was yeah, the perfect person, but I seem to catch it because I was at the right time, I think. Yes, so I, right provider, right time, right? So I, I remember clearly, I think there are, uh, all right, so I, I did catch a few red flags where probably, okay, so what happens, ED is very busy. The doctors are very busy, so I can't blame anybody for it. The patient came in with a mechanical back pain, probably had a history, I shifted something, had a pain, and was mild to moderate. And the doctor says, I'll refer on to the physio and because we were free. So, you know, like sat physio, we took the case. And the moment you expose the patient, it was shingles. So that was one, one, one clear thing that said, then, you know, like, it's not my case. And you call the doctor, I think this patient is not mine. And I think you need to prescribe the antiviral. And so that was one. It has happened three times over my four years over this. It's not very common. But I think what, what the key takeaway from this is that expose your patients, just assess. So if even if the doctor is assessing, we want them to at least, you know, like pull back and at least see where, the, where they're pointing to pain. So at least you don't miss out on things that are so obvious. I think the other one that I quite like is um, um, one of the cases that young person, I think in the 30s, uh, fell, slipped and fell in the toilet, landed back, hit himself at the back uh, at the toilet bowl, and he came to ED. Obviously, he was in a lot of pain. So uh, a physio saw it in ED and said, okay, I think you, because he's fairly young, he could still walk, even though the pain score was high, gave him a walking aid, sent them back home. But he called in two, and his appointment was there within five days, but he kept calling us in two to three days time saying, I need to come and see you urgently. 
So uh, happens to be I was the physio covering, and and this is where I'll say I spoke to this uh, the spine surgeon that I collaborated with, and he came in and he literally couldn't get he couldn't get out of the wheelchair. His mother was there, his thirty year old plus guy mother comes in, and he cannot stand up. He couldn't lie down on the plinth, and I made him sit on my chair, gave him a hot pack, and and I, then I looked at the extras like this doesn't look like a norm, and I looked at it and looked at it because. I do not know how you're training back in uh, US, but we are only trained on the job to read x-rays and MRI. So it's, there's not like a formal class. So I looked at it and I was like, it looks like probably he has a trans fracture of the uh, L3, L4. And and I because the surgeon was on duty, so I sent him the, uh, the, the patient's identifier and said, can you have a look at me? I think that this is a fracture. And true enough, he reverted back and he says, yes, it is a fracture. So eventually, I mean, by the time he, I had taken, by the time he, replied to me was a few hours later, I'd taken a decision and told him, look, I think it's a fracture. We treated it like one. You you can be admitted or you can go home and come back on Monday. We will get you an appointment. The patient chose to go back home and he came back on a Monday to see the same doctor. But the doctor responded to me way, way later and, and the patient couldn't wait. So on Monday, when he went to see the doctor, the doctor admitted him. So that was very nice. I mean, it was reassuring. I couldn't obviously at that point call the patient and said, I think you know, you should come back now. But I think the patient's okay. I told him, if you still feel miserable, still so bad, please walk into the ED. Otherwise, if you can wait till Monday, that would be great. So that was a very interesting one. And so tell everyone who's listening, how did you treat that that spinal fracture in the ED? How did you, like, stabilize that? What what did you send him out with? Like, what were your instructions to the patient? He had, he had a, a walking frame with him. He was given a walking frame, which is, again, not my ideal walking aid for a 30-year-old. I would sure. send him in crutches. But I respect the previous physio's decision maybe he couldn't uh, just know how to use the walking um, the uh, the crutches so he did uh, I think he already had a back support I don't recall now I don't recall whether I gave him one or he already had one but we gave him the corset we told him how to get in get out um, probably avoid sleeping on that side take your pain meds as prescribed sleep is necessary if you are still getting the symptoms seven to eight cannot sleep at night please turn up to the ED and that I gave him a hot pack and that is all I said do not provocate your pain, do not find your pain, sit in or sleep in a comfortable position that you can, we wait and we see how you go. Nothing much was done for him besides heat and some massage, maybe lightly advice on pain meds. Okay, so then my next question about this is tell me a little bit about your scope of practice in, in Singapore, where you are. Can you order imaging? Do, you, do patients need to have prescriptions only go through physicians? Like what kinds of things are maybe a little bit different there than they are here? We, I don't. I think we are quite different from uh, even in New Zealand, Australia, or back in UK as well. We can't order X-rays or MRIs, but we can ask our doctors. I think this patient really needs uh, an investigation because of so and so reasons, and this is what I've assessed. And most of the time, they're very nice. So if you explain to them where you're coming from and and you you concerned for the patient, I think they they're quite happy to do that. Similarly, with pain meds, I think the ED prescription is pretty standard. They will give you your tramadol, they'll give you your acoxia, and they'll give you your anorex. Anything more, you'll have to ask them. I would like you to give this patient uh, maybe whatever whatever the evidence, okay? So gabapentin or lorica, and uh, then you, you tell the doctor, this is what I want. So what we picked up was ED doctors will give a stat 300 mg gabapentin, and that is not an appropriate dosage to start with a patient when we discuss with a pain physician. So he said, start off with 100 mg and then evening make it another 100. And then eventually on, on, a, on a typical date could be 100 and 200 and evening to make it 300. Then you titrate it up. Larica 25 mg may not work. You have to go 50 mg or 75 mg. So eventually we asked the pain physician to come into the ED to give them that 
breakdown of how do you titrate the meds and eventually those patients then could we could then refer them to the pain uh, physician to titrate the meds and follow through if needed. So yeah, so we can't prescribe meds, we can't prescribe imaging, but we can discuss with them and they will follow. I love that. So that's a really good example of how the physical therapist is still making sure everybody gets the care that they need, even if that means bringing in collaborators to help bridge that gap between the emergency department and outpatient care. And I think if you are getting those meds titrated appropriately, right, like that decreases return visit to the emergency department, that helps prevent that patient from suffering between ED and outpatient follow-up visit. I love that you did that. That's amazing. Thank you. So tell me, what other things do you think that people need to know if they're going to start practicing in the emergency department? Now that you've been on both sides, say I'm an outpatient PT and I'm like, gosh, you know, I'm tired of this. I want something different. I'm ready to go practice in the emergency department. What skills would you tell that that physical therapist or physiotherapist to brush up on before they make that career change? I think what they really need to know is they really need to read up their red flags. Whether whoever you are following for red flags, whether it's Dr. Laura Funderkin's papers or whether you have um, sizes. I, I remember New Zealand Sizer was quite a known person, so all his uh, red flags for all the regions. You need to be clear of your red flags and you need to know your conditions. You can't go into ED not knowing all your musculoskeletal conditions because if you do not know, you wouldn't ask the questions, and if you do not know your red flags, you will not screen for them. Having, having knowing this too, I think the fact, I think when I also transitioned from outpatients to ED, my greatest fear was, can I work with the doctors? Can I work in a fast paced environment? Will I make the correct decisions or will I be questioned if things go wrong? I think keeping all that aside, when you open up to the doctors and said, I am seeing this case, anything I need to know, is there anything you would like to tell me? And just discussing with them, they know that you want the best care for the patient. So however busy they are, they will respect and give you that information. So I think go with the mind that you are trying to do your best for the patient. If you ever do a mistake, you apologize. This is my mistake. I messed out. And that gives you the, you buy in the trust of your healthcare professions that you're trying to do the best for your patient. So just, I, I always tell, treat the patient as you would like to be treated or your family member to be treated. I so think then that's you, great advice. Yeah. So you will not mess up anything there. That's perfect advice. Okay. So anything else you want to share with our listeners today about like how to be the best emergency physio that you can be, how to like get patients quicker from the ED to outpatient care? What do you think? What are your parting thoughts? Hmm. I think most of the time our patients do turn up to ED, especially in Singapore. And I think sometimes they do turn up because they are lost in what is wrong with them. So Uh I think spending some time with them, reassuring them that this is what it is. And I think the sessions that I've had with them and I've had to explain to them, look, like we will not forget you. Like, even if we cannot understand what's going on now, we will refer you to appropriate people. So we do have contacts with the spine doctors. We do have even just that reassurance, the first session, they they feel reassured that, okay, I will be taken care of. Otherwise, they keep turning up to EDs of other hospitals. I've seen patients who, you know, if they are not satisfied with the care given at one place, they could easily go there. So I think that reassurance part of saying, explaining to the patient, I think this is what it is because every patient wants to know what is wrong with me? When can I get better? Uh, and who else can I, who can I uh, contact? Who is going to, who is going to treat me? Who's going to fix me? So if you can just reassure them, explain to them, tell me, this is what I have for you. If this doesn't work, we have this one for you. And you can come in any time at this point, we will have everything, you know, written for you, all the information. Sometimes they just want a memo that same day, what is wrong with them? Maybe they just want to go through with their family and friends. That's fine as well. So I think reassuring them is a very important part. And the fact that they believe you, then they will be reassured and turn up for the physio. And 
and then probably they'll be better. So I think one of the things that they need to realize is time is the biggest healer as well. We mm. could do all the pain meds. We could give them all the support, the lumbar corset, we can tape them. We can, but if they don't heal or they don't rest or we don't give it time, it's, it's not going to get better. So educating them is very important as well. So I think once you can buy that trust and they see some improvements and educating improvements will not always be going down. You go up and down depending on what it is. And perhaps I think in Singapore, uh, also factoring what work they do, sometimes some of them do need um, a medical leave a little bit longer. And that's what we the ED physio does as well. Sometimes we feel this patient has, has physical job. I don't think he can go back to work. We go and request for hospitalization leave without the patient being hospitalized. So we walk into the SSU, we have a doctor, we explain, I think, give him two weeks of HL, and they will only give you if the ED physio comes in. And that's another assistant that they formed in the hospital. Oh, that's amazing. So that emergency physio is really making the decision about people's return to their functional activities and their participation in their daily life. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So what I really took away from what you just said is establish trust with the patient, reassure the patient educate them on how to self-manage this condition and let them know that like it takes time and that they yeah. need to be patient. And then bottom line, like these are the things that I want you to come back for. These are the things that would be an issue. And so that patient is leaving empowered and educated. Yeah. Perfect. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate all of your knowledge and I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you so much. You've been very humble. I have been following you on Twitter. I think there's a lot to learn from you too. <laughs>